This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here and uh, it's good to hear your voice to know that people are listening again because we've been shut down for uh, lockdown as it were and I haven't been, been able to do the show for, I don't know, three or four weeks possibly. Anyway, so I've been a bit of catching up to do here uh, with other bits and pieces but I'll start with uh, the population of Ireland. I found this interesting. The population of uh, Ireland, this is the Republic, has... Uh, Risen to over 5 million for the first time since the Great Famine. There are now over 5 million people living in the 26 counties uh, for the first time since 1851. Yes, 1851. That's from the Central Statistics Office. The Great Hunger of 1845, 1852. So 1 million uh, people in Ireland die from starvation and exposure while 1 million more emigrating. I think it was a lot more than that actually ended up in America. Many of the United States where they established one of the strongest Irish communities in the world was about 32 million Americans believed to have be of Irish descent. Ireland's population was devastated by the famine and has never regained the numbers seen in the early 1880s. Uh, where 8.5 8, 8. million people called the island home. The last census put the island's population north and south at around 6.8 million people. So it certainly is on the way up. Now, however, for the first time, the tides are beginning to turn as the Republic's uh, population has risen to over 5 million for the first time in almost 200 years. The Central Statistics Office has revealed that the Republic's current population is believed to be 5.1 million, up from 4, uh, 4.97. The increase in due is to more people having children being born in Ireland as well as a positive net migration which saw 65,500 people move to Ireland from abroad to compared to 54,000 people leaving. And that's what most people did. And certainly in my generation, people just, you know, we were made for export, we just left. If you wanted to have a, a life, really, you wanted to get a, get a job, because I remember doing that as well, just getting over to England to get a job and send some money home to the family. Despite 65,000 uh, immigrants more moving to Ireland in the past 12 months, this is down 24% from the previous year, and some 30,000 of those are understood to be Irish nationals returning home, in uh, part due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw many returning home while they were furlonged or working remotely. According to the Irish Times, 7,300 more Irish people returned to live in Ireland in the past 12 months than those who moved abroad. So it's in the same in the Northern Ireland. I think the population there is one million eight hundred and twenty thousand. So it's still uh, smallish, but you know it helps make up this uh, six six and a half million people overall, as it were, that are actually living in the island of Ireland. And what have we got here? This is tomorrow. Is uh, this this is uh, Friday the tenth of September? Tomorrow is uh, the anniversary if you want to call it remembrance of 9-11 there in New York City. And one of the 11th of September, World Fair 
changed. Well, it says the September the 11th, 2001, the world changed utterly, and it did. America got involved in a whole lot of bombing a whole lot of countries. Uh, this Saturday, the United States will mourn the almost 3,000 innocent people who were killed in the deadly terror attack, which saw more than 6,000 people injured, countless families heartbroken, and which forever changed the iconic New York skyline. And that was all down to mostly Saudi Arabians, who were you know the main people behind us. It would also go on to, uh, to spark the beginning of the war, war on terror, which itself caused untold pain and suffering. Ireland, always a trusted ally of the United States, thanks in part to the estimated 32 million people of Irish descent living there, uh, is really feels really connected to New York City itself. In the days leading to the 20th anniversary of the devastating attack, the Irish Post is reflecting on the lives lost and how the world uh, reacted both at the time and since. In Waterford, Ireland's oldest city, yes, the Viking town, a unique memorial was commissioned and unveiled in 2018, fashioned from a section of the, the fallen towers which were retrieved from the wreckage on that fateful day. The resulting uh, art piece saw something beautiful and poignant, born from the rubble of one of history's great tragedies. And uh, that's it. it's just a, sta- a piece of, what do you call it, a steel, one of the girders from the, you know, what was left of the Empire State Building. Oh, the Twin Towers, sorry. And that uh, was just, you know, it was unveiled by the, in Bishop's Palace there in uh, Waterford to mark 17 years since the attack. Mr. Egan, who is uh, the city councillor, had previously worked in another, the artist rather, a commemorative piece depicting September the 11th, uh, 2001, which he had donated to the Fire Department of New York City. Years later, he approached Fire Chief Robert Moran about the possibility of using a real piece of the fallen towers to commemorate the lives lost. His request was granted and a part of the steel girder was sent to Waterford where the artist created the somber monument to the September 11th attack. The sculpture is based in the Bishop's Palace in the Bishop's Palace uh, area of uh, Waterford City and it's accessible all year round to those who wish to pay their respects. It is accompanied by a plaque depicting the the pre-2001 uh, New York skyline with the message that reads, This piece of steel was retrieved from the ruins of the World Trade Centre. The poignant message can be read near Sean Egan's 2911 memorial. It is an honour uh, of our own first responders who keep us in peace, was what basically said, to put that up to, you know, as a memory of all the people that actually died and all the people who fought the fires and the devastation that was caused by the, you know, the bombings, really, you know, the planes going in there and destroying those two uh, buildings which was, I saw that on television, like hundreds of millions of others, and I just thought it was surreal. I just couldn't believe what I was watching, that it was, you know, this is just real, you know. Unfortunately, it was. Anyway, back on to, uh, this is the Irish world, and this is about London. New Irish play commemorates the story of an Irish patriot. The new play, McSweeney, marks the centenary of the death of Terence McSweeney, albeit one year later due to the pandemic, who died on the hunger strike in Brixton Jail in October 20, ah, rather 1920. From Cork, McSweeney was a playwright, author and a politician. He was elected as Lord Mayor of Cork during the Irish War of Independence way back there in 1920. He was arrested by the British government on charges of sedition and imprisoned in Brixton Prison. His death there after 74 days on hunger strike and brought him and the Irish Republican campaign to international attention. 
His death was a pivotal in Ireland's fight for independence because it happened on British soil within a prison hospital under the watchful eye of medical staff who tried to keep uh, McSweeney alive. Events also took place under the scrutiny of the British press and worldwide public opinion, much of which was sympathetic to uh, McSweeney's plight and indeed the plight of Ireland at that time. The play also features Thomas McCurran, who was killed by British forces some months later, and the highlights the remarkable life of Muriel McSweeney, who went on to play a major role during the course of Irish history. McSweeney, written and directed by John Dunn, comes from the Irish, uh, London Irish Theatre and is supported by the London Cork Association. So it's really moving along. Uh, you know, it's good. Stuff like that is actually, people do remember it, etc., because it's, you know, an important part of our history, you know, whether you like that or not. And what have we got here? This is uh, something I came across I thought you may be interested in. An event marking 100 years since the Royal Irish Constabulary were disbanded following Ireland gaining its independence from Britain will take place in London next year. Not this year, next year. The Irish government, then led by Fianna Falls Leo Vatica, has uh, planned to commemorate members of the Royal Irish Constabulary and the Dublin Metropolitan Police in January 20, uh, 2020. But the event was cancelled due to severe backlash from the public and prominent politicians. It was, I remember reading about that, it was people were outraged considering what those, ba- those people did to the people of Ireland. The mayors of Limerick, Clare, Kerry and Galway were among the politicians who had vowed to boycott the event, with many citing the RIC, sees uh, uh, links to the Black and Tans, who terrorised the Irish public during the fight for independence. And they were not nice people in the Black and Tans, far from it. The then uh, Taoiseach had said at the time that it was regrettable that so many were planning to boycott the event, but later acknowledged that he had messed up. Well, good on him, he had the, the guts to at least come up there and admit to that. And that the planned commemoration became divisive, became a matter of political contention, and that's why the right decision was taken to cancel it. Now a, uh, a new event will be hosted by uh, the British uh, Police Rule of Honour Trust in London in April uh, next year to mark 100 years since the RIC, Royal Irish Constabulary, was disbanded. Members of the Royal Irish Constabulary uh, were in this, you know, resting here, photograph of them resting in the hills of Tipperary. They were far from pleasant people. They were Irishmen fighting Irishmen. You know, the old sort of rule of the Brits, divide and conquer. The event uh, will be held in uh, St Paul's Cathedral and it is expected that uh, the Commissioner of the Irish Police Force as well as officials from the Irish Government will be invited to attend. Uh, I wonder how many will go. And the outlet reports that members of the Historical and Re- Reconciliation Police Society, which is made up of former police officers, uh, approached the British Police Rule of Honour Trust to establish a new event commemorating the former serving members of uh, that organisation after the Irish event was cancelled. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a bit dodgy, to say the least. I suppose it is worth sort of commemorating as long as they don't go over the top. The principal focus of the event, according to this moment, will be the family member, descendants who, who served, especially of those 638 who lost their lives as a consequence of their service, least we forget. Any descendants of uh, former RIC members who wish to attend the event should contact... Uh, what is R.F. Clement, the role of honour in London. And hopefully they may sort of, uh, you know, get an invite to go to this commemoration. It's not a celebration, commemoration.
And this is uh, something I think is really interesting, you know, kind of out of the blue. You know, we live in times of COVID where everything is locked down. You can't go here and you can't go there. Everything is totally and utterly, uh, you know, it's not police state, but, you know, people are uh, under more surveillance than ever before. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, two boys, Keith Byrne and uh, Noel Murphy. They made headlines around the world after hopping on a dark plane and ending up in New York City, escaping authorities in three countries in the process. They said that uh, no one, uh, Noel, had decided to go to the USA because he wanted to see his favorite television star at the time, uh, the guy from Mr. T from uh, the A Team. Their incredible journey began when they went out to play before dinner one night. Uh, he said in an in RTA radio documentary. My mum said, don't go far. Your dinner's nearly ready. You know, I won't be long. I won't be long. But they did. They took the dart to Dunleary. And from there, they snuck onto the ferry to Hollyhead. Embattled by their, cheered up by their success so far, they avoided the ticket checkers and got themselves on a train to London. Eventually, they wound up at Heathrow with nothing but a few coins that they had nicked. Once they were there, they asked a random passenger where his plane was going, and he told them New York. They told the ticket checker and security their parents were behind them and boarded an Air India plane. Wow. The plane was only half full, so no one came near us. The ease with which they slipped past the authorities was even more surprising given the fact that just two months earlier, an Air India jet had been blown up off the southwest of Ireland, killing 329 people. I should say this was 1985. Sorry, I got the wrong date. But anyway, so it's just amazing, isn't it? That people can, uh, you know, just got away with it, really. Uh, you know, and particularly now, I don't know you could get away with it now, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did come around. So what else have we got here? We've got a bit of that piece. Ah, here we go, there's a bit more bits and pieces here for you. And I hope you've all had, uh, you know, a reasonable lockdown and didn't go ballistic and up the walls, as I say, you know, through boredom or whatever. Because there was, you know, lots of stuff to be doing around your house, around the garden, etc., etc., and, uh, you know, and you did play the game because it's in everyone's interest that this actually comes to an end in, at some stage. This is uh, from the Belfast Telegraph, I think. A swimmer is the first to circuit Ireland's largest lake. A county Armagh swimmer has completed the first ever circuit of Ireland's largest lake. Frankie, uh, Francie rather, McAlinton from Craigavon swam 100 kilometres around Loch Ney in five days. He did it for charity and in memory of his six-year-old grandson, um, who died of a heart attack in 2014, you know, heart condition. Mr. McAlinton said his young grandson had been on my back the whole way. He spent up to eight hours at a time in the water. A large crowd gathered on the shores of Loch Ness to welcome the long-distance swimmer home. So good on him, eh? Mr. McAlinton said he felt physically drained, but he praised the support team who helped him complete the challenge. At uh, 392 square kilometres, Loch Ness is the largest freshwater lake in Ireland and the United Kingdom and supplies 40% of Ireland's drinking water. Didn't know that. Uh, his parents, Oren Sidney, the grandson, uh, were on the shore as Mr. Mr. McAlinton emerged from the loch. Good on them. It must have been amazing to see him coming out. I always say if we can get through one day and Oran's name come into somebody's head, it would mean the world to me that he's not been forgotten. Good on him. 
Mr. Michael Linton was raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which provided uh, his son with a grandson with a trip to the United uh, to Disneyland before he died. In order to complete the challenge, no one was allowed to physically assist him while he was in the water. Food and uh, water had to be thrown to him from the support boat accompanying him. Uh, Mr. Lincoln said it was much a, a psychological as well as a physical challenge. You just switch off. I've forgotten a whole load of it because you just switch off. My body feels like I'm being hit by a train. I just give it everything that I had. Good on them. You know what I mean? That's, a lot of people do stuff like that. Even here in New Zealand, you get people that sort of you know, do things to help other people or, you know, to highlight the issue or whatever it is at the time. And what about you? This I find this interesting. This is the Catholic Archbishop of Dublin has uh, says belief has vanished in Ireland. I still have some sort of concur with that view myself. Evidence of Christian belief in Ireland today has all has for all intents and purposes vanished. Catholic Archbishop Dermot Farrell has said. This underlying crisis of faith was uh, particularly uh, acute among the younger generation. Public commentary in the, in the media in Ireland has not been positive in its understanding of the church and its need for vocations and for public support of those trying to preach the gospel, he said. Archbishop Farrell made uh, the comments in an interview in 2021. Um, it was a, you know, the annual journal of the, in a magazine uh, of the National Cemetery at St. Patrick's College in Mammoth. The challenges facing me are pretty clear. We have an aging clergy and very few vocations to the diocesan priesthood on our religious life. There is a major decline in the number of people who actively practice and live their faith. I think that's pretty yeah, taken as red, really. Uh, faith needs ritual embodiment. One must see in people how faith is lived. Today, the visibility of faith for all interests and purposes vanished. I am also dealing with the legacy of sexual abuse scandals, which have damaged the, church, uh, the church's credibility. Since finance is a function of uh, numbers, financial issues will arise, which will be accelerated by the global pandemic and its aftermath. Just look at Britain at the moment. We're, uh, you know, Bojo, Mr. Johnson has uh, banged up the income tax through uh, insurance, you know, the insurance tax that everyone pays over there. And I mean, everyone, uh, which is, uh, people are all upset about it. Mostly the young, I think, because they're the ones who are going to be, feel the damage for in years to come. But it's some, somewhere along the line, I mean, it was inevitable that tax increases were going to have to happen in some stage. But as long as it's kind of fair, and there seems to be a, a bit of debate about whether it's fair, that, you know, the, the well-off will uh, get away with it again. The current model for the church is unsustainable at present. In Dublin, what was needed is an effective program of catechisms throughout the diocese to add and eventually replace the current teaching of faith to the young. With the gradual decline of family uh, socialisation and religion, the role of the qualified catechism will be essential. In my opinion, the handing of the faith to the young of the, uh, is one of the most serious challenges facing our church today. Bishops and priests needed to encourage participatory institutional model of church with a leadership of service, uh, central to which is the, the people of God who comprise 99.99% of the church's members. Uh, when this is grasped, all else may change. Generally, uh, he was not pessimistic about the future of the church in Dublin. He said that young, when young people volunteer to look, to look after the sick or the elderly or the poor, when accompanied, it may facilitate a dynamic where the Lord starts to speak and move their hearts 
uh, of the young people. We need to start here rather than telling people just to go to mass. So that's good. A bit of you know compassion and empathy for your fellow citizens is where it starts, really. This time of reduced numbers may well afford an opportunity to be creative and to reimagine the institutional church. We have not been abandoned by God. God is to be found in any situation. And that is very true. So what else have we got here? Uh, the rocky, the rugged west coast of Ireland. Again, I think we, I spoke about this the last time. It's been, uh, you know, so the Aran Islands is one and a whole lot other sort of recommendations as one of the most beautiful places um, in the world. According to some, you know, what do you call it, tourist organisations, not Irish ones, by the way, but American, etc., etc. And this is uh, what coronavirus, I found this uh, also, again, this is from, I think this is from uh, Derry, you know, the paper up there in London, Derry. A doctor in Northern Ireland has been suspended from practising medicine after she made multiple claims about the dangers of COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Anne McCluskey, who worked as a GP in Derry, appeared in a video posted to social media on Sunday there, in which she said she was distraught at the young people taking unapproved and unlicensed COVID-19 vaccines. There's no evidence to back this up, by the way. It was just her word. Young people were being damaged by taking the vaccine, she said, blaming the media and the government and their lying, yes, lying scientific advisors for the hype around the global pandemic. Wow, isn't that an amazing person from the medical profession? The video was uh, posted on YouTube and has since been removed. The Belfast Telegraph reports... Uh, but clips continue to be shared uh, on multiple social media sites, including Facebook and Twitter. Dr. Adam Kluski appeared in a nine-minute uh, video where she claimed uh, the vaccines were doing more harm than good. Uh, she later defended the comments in, her, in an interview with the Belfast Telegraph. She says she does not regret making the video, and as a doctor, she says she's very concerned about the safety of young people. I'm not sleeping and I think about what is happening to our young people. I stand by what I said. I believe that the vaccines are doing immeasurable damage. The Health and Social Care Board of Northern Ireland confirmed in a statement uh, that uh, Dr. McCluskey had been suspended while an investigation was taking place. They added that suspension is not an automatic occurrence when an investigation was being uh, undertaken, but may be necessary where there are concerns regarding patient safety. And in the, uh, the public interest, Dr. McCluskey, who, became, who came out of retirement at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, will be unable to work for the health service until the investigation has been completed. Well, well that's it. You know, it's a choice thing, isn't it? You've all you got, she's got her opinion, you know, and she's entitled to her opinion. You know, that's certainly not an opinion that I would concur with. And now we've got this. From also the, uh, from this from BBC Northern Ireland, the climate uh, bill will be re- the ruination of Northern, Agri- Northern Ireland's agriculture, says the Ulster Farmers Union. The Ulster Farmers Union uh, has said a climate bill supported by most of the Stormont parties will be the ruination of the agricultural sector in- industry in Northern Ireland. The bill uh, sets a binding target of zero, um, zero net zero rather carbon emissions by twenty forty five. The union commissioned a report into the effects the bills uh, would have on agriculture. The report carried by KPMG reports that the target could lead to the loss of 13,000 jobs. It also warns of a huge cut to livestock numbers and the loss of billions of pounds in economic output. 
The legislation was drafted by an organisation called Climate Collusion Northern Ireland and is being uh, taken forward in the name of the Green Party leader, Claire Bailey. Uh, Ms Bailey said she understood the concerns that farmers had but did not believe the effect of her bill would be as harsh as the report suggested. It was uh, supported by Sinn Féin, the Ulster Unionists, the the Alliance Party, the SDLP and a number of independents. Only the Democratic Unionist Party has not signed up. And the Democratic Unionist Party, when I last read there this morning, are uh, talking about pulling out of – bringing down the government in Northern Ireland, you know, the Assembly, because of uh, Brexit. They're not getting their way, so they're going to pull the plug on it. That guy, uh, Donaldson, isn't it? Jeffrey Donaldson, the new leader, is uh, an unhappy man, you know, so they're going to pull the plug on it if they don't get their way. There's some guy from the European Union uh, over there talking with them at present, uh, you know, about changing the whole kind of process – and um, according to himself, that he was not, it wasn't going to happen, you know. So Donaldson is going to pull the plug on all that. No more talking with uh, the people that be in Dublin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Which will leave uh, at the moment. Ireland is the only English-speaking country in the European Union. Only English-speaking country in the European Union. I find that sort of interesting. Anyway, what have we got here? This is something that's kind of close to my heart, really. Uh, the restoration of Belfast Bank buildings. Uh, followed the, two, the 2018 blaze on track, according to Primark, because Primark took it over and it was one of their major stores. It's a spectacular old Victorian building. There used to be a pub run there called Kelly Cellars that I used to go and have a couple of jars in that again. It was a beautiful pub, you know, 1600 and something, just dynamite, great atmosphere. No one-armed bands, no music, just, you know, apart from people uh, playing a bit of, you know, the fiddle, etc., etc., a banjo beside the, the open fire, you know, big log fan, brilliant. Was you know it hadn't changed from all that time literally. Anyway, the rest, uh, the restoration of the iconic bank buildings in Belfast and following a, a fire is on track to be completed in uh, the next two years, according to the bosses at uh, the High Street retailer Primark. Listed buildings situated at Royal Avenue, which housed the city's flagship Primark store, was significantly damaged. It was wiped out. They were actually talking about demolishing the whole building at one time. After a fire broke out on the premises in August 2018, it was an acetylene battle that caused that apparently, you know, the guys were building, they were, it was being refurbished somewhere along the acetylene battle, sort of gas leak or whatever, and that started the fire that sort of, you know, like I said, they were talking about demolishing the whole building, which is really, is, you know, would have been an absolute sin, et cetera, et cetera. The fire ripped through the building while it had been undergoing repairs, like I just said. Uh, more than 100 firefighters tackled the breeze, along with 14 appliances, including six, six specialist rigs. An investigation by Northern Ireland Fire and Service found the cause of the blaze to be accidental. And it was some, some kind of one of the workers just left, like I said, the settling thing. He left it turned on when they went home at the end of the day. Primark currently uh, operates two stores in Belfast City Centre, with one at Fountain House alongside Donegal Place, and a smaller one in the, the bank building's extension down at the bottom. You know, it was, goes on to this. This leads you up onto the Falls Road, if you know Belfast at all, the city centre. In a statement, the company said it hoped that work to, be fully, to fully restore the iconic building will conclude within the next couple of years. Since the devastating fire three years ago, isn't it amazing? It was three years ago because I remember when I, I was back in Belfast at the time, uh, the fire had been and gone, as it were. It was out, but there was a stench. The smell of burning was still in the air. You know, it was just it was it was just unbelievable. Only you know, this was months and months later, but you could smell and you went into Castle 
Castle Court and all that area and Castle Street. It was just in Royal Avenue. The smell was just hung in the air of the fire. Unbelievable. So I'll give you some idea like just how, you know, dense the whole thing was. Right, we got this from The Observer in England. The majority of Northern Ireland voters want, uh, want a vote on staying within the UK. Two-thirds of voters in Northern Ireland believe that there should be a vote over its place in the UK, but only 37% want it to take place within the next five years, according to a new poll for the, uh, written uh, for The Observer. Some 31% of voters said they would be a, there should be a vote at some point about Northern Ireland's place in the UK after 2026. Uh, a further 29% said there, was, there should never be such a vote. There is currently a seven-point lead for Northern Ireland remaining part of the UK should any vote take place. Asked to see at how they would vote, 49% said they would back remaining in the UK, while 42% backed uh, uh, being, being part of a united Ireland. And I can't feel that it will be something like that because of, you know, the Brexit is going to sort of, you know, speed that along, as it were. I think most people do want to be part of the European Union, et cetera, et cetera. And there will be some some form of, uh, you know, I don't know, it'll be a, not so much it'll be a united Ireland, but I think Northern Ireland will be sort of, have its own sort of government at present. And, uh, yeah, and Belfast will be the, still the capital of Northern Ireland, but it'll be called Northern Ireland. It's hard to say what it would be called. But I still think the majority of people there do want to keep in touch with the European Union. You know, so as um, they can move around and Europeans can come over there. So I've got a feeling that will happen. And I think a lot of people in Britain, including the uh, prior, not so much the prime minister, but some of his ministers in London have stated that, that you know, they feel that Northern Ireland was, is gonna, not going to be there in 20, 25 years, that they will have some sort of form of uh, independence from uh, the UK. be interesting to follow to see what happens. There have been uh, persistent concerns within the UK government that a fallout from Brexit could lead to increased support for a united Ireland, with all the problems continuing <coughs> that could bring. While many experts say they believe the political temperature in Northern Ireland was now cooling, uh, the issue of a border, border pool has been raised by prominent figures on both sides of the, 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 you know, the UK. Earlier this week, the British government rebuked Northern Ireland's deputy, uh, not, uh, Ireland's, not Northern Ireland, Ireland's deputy minister, uh, Leo, for stating that there could be a United Ireland in his lifetime. Former Sinn Féin uh, leader, Jerry Fon, also said in reason that he believed a poll could happen within three years. Peter Hain, the former Northern Ireland secretary, accused Boris Johnson of complacency over the problem. The Prime Minister ignores Northern Ireland at his peril, and he has done so consistently now throughout his premiership. It will bat him and it will bat everyone if he's not careful. I don't think an early poll is very likely, but I think there's an inexorable momentum towards one that would throw the kaleidoscope up in the air and who knows where it's going to fall. Even for support for holding a board poll was to grow uh, further, there are serious barriers that supporters would need to overcome. The Good Friday Agreement gives the Northern Ireland Secretary discretion to call for a referendum at any point. However, he is legally obligated to call one if there is a majority in Northern Ireland in favour of unification. I don't think, like I said, it would be unification, but there will be some kind of, you know, working along together because of a feeling that, you know, Northern Ireland will be on its own, like a UDI, you know, what happened with the, the former, you know, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia at that time. There could be some, something will be worked out where the people of North and South can actually get along and move up and up and down the country without too many problems. And also, there won't be all the empty food shelves that there are at present with all that problems with the Irish Sea border, you know. It's just 
it's causing problems there when I speak to my family back in Belfast. Empty shelves for this, that and the other. Anyway, that's about it for me for uh, the moment. I will be back next week. And you take care, okay? Be kind and just, uh, you know, the, the pandemic, it'll go, will go down, we're at 11 too, and it'll definitely go down to one, and hopefully it'll be it for a while. It's just hard to believe that just one person, one person, you know, had uh, contacted this virus in Auckland, and it's sort of, you know, Auckland is still in uh, a ghost city, really, you know what I mean, a no-go area, and... Uh, you know that has affected the rest. Of, not so much. It's affected us. It's affected us in the fact that every you know schools were shut, shops were shut, everything was done. Just that sheer inconvenience more than anything else. But hopefully that uh, it will sort of you know go back to some kind of normality. But uh, like I said before in previous occasions, I think this COVID is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Uh, you know, in one form or other. Anyway, on that rather depressing note, take care and enjoy your week. Okay, enjoy it while. Uh, yeah, well, the connection to that in the See ya. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.